Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin reading. Also, hold your finger there and turn to Matthew 18, Matthew 5, and also Matthew 18. Beginning in verse number 21 of Matthew chapter 5. Read these words of Jesus. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 18 and we'll begin reading in verse number 21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall... My brother sinned against me, and I forgive him. Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went and he threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then here's a difficult passage. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Holy Spirit, um, your word says if we love you, we will keep your commandments. And those commandments are not always easy to keep. Sometimes they challenge us to the very core. But Lord, we desperately want to be the people of God. We want to be what you have called us to be. We want to walk in your blessing. We want to walk in your mercy and grace. And we, Lord, want to know your provision of grace in our lives. Ask, Lord, in these next few minutes that you would challenge us by your word. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that your word, which is alive and powerful, would cut to the very core of our thoughts, our intentions, our motives. And I pray, God, that you would cleanse us, purify us, 
And I pray, God, that you would bring reconciliation in our lives, in those relationships that may desperately need to be healed of you. Ask God for your anointing, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because I need it. And I pray that you'll help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which is from you. And may the word of the Lord change us today in these moments that we share together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now look across the aisle and wave at each other, all right? Do that. (laughs) All right, and then you may be seated this morning. Isn't this weird? Anybody else just feel like this whole thing's bizarre? Um, It is, for sure. Today today we are beginning a three-part series, um, First Things First. And it is my intention over these next three messages to explore the issue of priority, Christian priorities. What are the priorities uh, in our spiritual journey? We often get the proverbial cart before the horse in our spiritual walk, and we oftentimes major on the minors, uh, but this series is going to focus on three of the majors, um, three priorities that we really need to establish uh, in our lives. In his book, What Good is God, Philip Yancey, I don't know how many of you have read some of Philip Yancey's work, an excellent author, but but he illustrates what it's like to build up on the rock by hearing and keeping the words of Jesus. He he writes about the 2004 Ukraine elections in which uh, the reformer of the Ukraine, the one who was challenging the president, the reformer, Viktor Yushchenko, was challenging the entrenched party leader and almost died for his cause. On election day, all of the exit polls showed that Viktor Yushchenko was in a very comfortable lead. He was winning. It looked like the Ukraine would have a new president and he would be the man that would bring reform to the country. But as an act of outright fraud, the government twisted those results and reported results that were very different. Yancey writes in his book, that evening, the state-run television reported these words. Ladies and gentlemen, we announce that the challenger, Viktor Yushchenko, has been decisively defeated. However, what the government authorities had failed to take into account was one of the features of Ukrainian television was a translation that it provided for the hearing impaired. You've seen that down in the little corner of the screen, just a little box, was this young lady who was translating. She was a brave woman who'd been raised by deaf and mute parents who gave a different and a true message in sign language. She signed to those who knew sign language, I am addressing all of the deaf citizens of the Ukraine. Don't believe what they say. They are lying. And I'm ashamed, she said, or signed, to translate these lies. Yushchenko is our president. No one in the studio, no one with the government understood her radical sign language message. But inspired by that translator, deaf people led 
what later to be became known as the Orange Revolution. Yancey continues that they text message their friends on their mobile phones about the fraudulent elections. And soon, uh, soon other journalists jumped on board and refused to report the party line. Over the next few weeks, as many as a million people wearing orange flooded the capital city of Kiev to demand new elections. The government finally backed and buckled under the pressure, consenting to new elections, and this time Yashchenko was elected as the president. Yancey makes this point in his book. He says, our society is hardly unique. Like the sign language translator in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, along comes a person by the name of Jesus, who says, in effect, don't believe the big screen. Don't believe all that the big screen is telling you they are lying. He said, it's the poor who are blessed, not the rich. Mourners are blessed too, as well as those who hunger and thirst and the persecuted. Those who go through life thinking they're on top will end up on the bottom. And those who grow through life feeling like they're at the bottom will end up on the top. After all, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? In this series, we are going to look at the truth as presented by Jesus. We're going to explore what the little box in the right-hand corner says. When the world screams at us, we can hold grudges. If you've been mistreated, then you can mistreat back. If you have had your rights violated, then you have the right to hold a grudge and become bitter. That's what the world says. But down in the right-hand corner of the screen... Is Jesus saying, if you go to the altar with your gift and you remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift there and go and make it right with your brother and then return. The context of this subject comes from these words of Jesus. They're strong words as we talk about the priority of forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus said, you heard it said to those of old, don't murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Seems to be pretty radical. But what Jesus is saying is that anger is as diabolical as murder. And anger that is left unchecked that forms a root of bitterness will ultimately destroy us and those around us. The 1994 article, Wars, Lethal, Leftovers, Threaten Europeans, the Associated Press reporter writes this, the bombs of World War II are still killing in Europe. They turn up and sometimes they blow up at construction sites, in fishing nets, on beaches, more than 50 and 60 years after the guns fell silent. Hundreds of tons of explosives are recovered every year in France alone. 13 bombs exploded in France in 1985, killing 12 people and wounding 11. 
unexploded bombs, they write, become more dangerous with time. With the corrosion inside, the weapons become more unstable. The detonator can become exposed. And then he goes on to say, what is true of lingering bombs is also true of lingering anger. Buried anger will explode when we least expect it. Two decades after the Civil War, the North and South still had not reconciled. Such a reconciliation would not succeed unless it was achieved by the generation that fought the war. Should that generation die unreconciled, its hatreds would become the next generation's legacy and would just perpetuate. It is a historical truism, listen, that inheriting hatreds is near inevitability. Eradicating them is a near impossibility. But God calls us to eradicate hatred. He calls us, calls us to eradicate bitterness that will ultimately destroy. The truth is that what Jesus is getting at, look at me for just a moment, is that if we don't deal with the issue now, it will destroy us. It will linger and become ultimately unresolvable. And so Jesus makes it clear with this very radical statement. He says, if you bring your gift to the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Go your way. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Get first things first. So I'm going to talk about that for just a few moments this morning. The teaching of Jesus about forgiveness and reconciliation. I um, thought after the first service, I thought, wow, after all of the events of this week, maybe we needed to be really encouraged and edified. I'm sorry, this probably isn't going to do that for you, but it will challenge you. Some of you are going to wish you were at home watching live stream so you could turn it off probably. But I do think that if we'll hear this, this it's a powerful word because I believe God wants to do something new in our lives and he wants us to get uh, the first things first when it comes to forgiveness. Let me share with you three or four pretty simple thoughts and just build on them. It's not a long and certainly not a deep message to, to, to understand. Number one, the true Christ follower will not put limitations, no limitations on their willingness to forgive. Peter really thought he was doing well. <laughs> he, he thought, man, I am doing good when he said, so when my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven. And Peter thought that he would get kudos from Jesus on that. He, he thought Jesus would say, wow, that is really good, Peter. You really have grown and you have matured in your walk with me. But instead, um, Jesus rebuked him and recognized or made him recognize that he had set a bar that was not only too low, but it was worthless. The rabbis taught in the first century that a person should forgive someone three times. If you hurt me, I should forgive you three times. And after that, all bets are off and I can do whatever I want. So Peter thought, I am doubling it plus one. So he thought he was doing pretty good. But Jesus takes this to a whole new level and says, no, 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 no. Not, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus turned upside down what the Jews knew 
as the 490 or the 77 rule, depending on which translation you read, that comes all the way from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, we read about Lamech. And Lamech was the first, here's a little piece of trivia. If you want to know something nobody else knows, Lamech was the first polygamist in the Bible. How many are glad you know that? All right. And I thought you would need to hear the folks that came out today. You need a little extra piece of info. But, but here's what we read. Um, as for Zillah, she bore Tubal Cain. This is Genesis 4. An instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. And Lamech said to his look, wives, plural, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Some translations say 70 times 7. That was the 490 or the 77 rule that the Jews knew. And so when Peter says, how about seven times? Jesus picks this up and says, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times seven. You see, Jesus is using the language of hyperbole, not calculation. Forgiveness, Jesus is saying, is to be unlimited. There's no place for keeping a record or a tally. He wasn't saying count to 490 and then all bets are off. He is saying it should be unlimited forgiveness. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say if one is still counting, however generously, they're not forgiving. If you're counting and saying, well, I've forgiven him this many times and I'll do it a couple more times, you're not forgiving. And that's what Jesus is saying. The point is that there is no limit to the forgiveness that is expected of those who follow Jesus. The greatness of the offense that is done against us does not place parameters on what God expects of us when it comes to forgiveness. That's why Jesus gives this parable. In the ancient world, it would not have been at all unusual. The, the slave had quite a bit of independence. It would not be at all unusual for a slave to borrow money off of the king or off of the master. And that is what is taking place in this parable. And so the slave owes his master an enormous amount of money. As a matter of fact, the amount of money that he owed his king was, was an amount of money that could not have been paid off in a lifetime. It would have been about 300 tons of silver. And there's no way he could have ever paid his master that amount of money. And when the master says, I want you to pay me back or you're going to get thrown in prison, he begs and he pleads. And he says, there's no way I can. And finally, the master says, okay, I'm just going to write it off. You're never going to be able to pay me anyway. Wouldn't have been able to pay if anyone thrown him in prison. He wouldn't have had any way to make money. But the master here is not expecting repayment. The master decides, I'll just wipe out the debt altogether because it's an unpayable debt. And then that same guy goes and he finds somebody who owes him just a little bit of money. More like a week's wages. He says, I want my money today. And the man says, I can't give it to you today. And he gets angry and he says to him, I have to have it today or you're going to be thrown in prison. And the man can't pay and he has him thrown into prison. 
Jesus rebukes that. And when the master finds out that the man he had forgiven this huge amount of money has demanded a small amount of money from the one who owed him, the king throws that one into a dungeon where he is tormented. And Jesus said, listen, so will your heavenly father do if you don't forgive from the heart the one who has offended you. You see, the point is that what God has forgiven his people, get this point, if you don't get anything else, is beyond calculation. The sin that we have committed that has broken the heart of God is not calculable. It's not just seven sins or 17. It is beyond calculation, and yet God has forgiven us our sin. Say amen if you're thankful for that this morning. There's no way this man could have paid off the debt in a lifetime. So the king's forgiveness was totally unmerited. And so is the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. We can't pay him off. You can't be good until you hit 99 and all of a sudden it's paid off. I just did my great aunt's funeral. She was 99 years old and a wonderful woman, but... In 99 years, she couldn't pay off her debt of sin. You can't pay off yours. Our sin cannot be calculated. That's how great it is. And yet Jesus, with his blood, wipes it away. Aren't you thankful for that? And yet he expects us to forgive in the same manner. There should be no limitations on our forgiveness of others because God has put none on his forgiveness of us. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how badly they hurt me. You you don't know how they offended me. You don't know what they have done to me. It doesn't matter. The purpose of the parable is to say, it doesn't matter. No matter how great that debt is, the king forgave it all. It's sad, but some never learn to forgive. In his best-selling book, The Telling Room, Michael Paternini shares a true story. But while he was visiting in his father's ancestral village of Sicily, and every day while he was there, he saw a very old woman walking with her cane. She went up a very, very steep hill. It took her several hours to make it up this hill. She was so decrepit and so crippled, and she had her cane, and she moved so slowly at a tortoise pace. But every day he was there, she made it her way up this huge, steep hill to a cemetery it's at the top of the hill. Michael Paternini thought, man, there must be someone really special there. It must be her husband or a child or some really dear loved one that she had that she would, through all the pain and through all the toil, every single day, and he talked to villagers and they said, every day she does that. And so he asked the question, who is it that she's going to see that is so dear to her? And they said, no, it's not anyone that's dear to her. But she's driven by what they would call in Sicily, astio, which is bitter hatred. Her arch enemy was buried in that cemetery. And every day, rain or shine, that old woman walked up that hill into that cemetery just to spit on the grave of that woman one more time. That's how bitter that hatred was. It was a bomb was ready to explode because she never dealt with it. Secondly, um, 
a true Christ follower, will take decisive action, decisive action to extend forgiveness and bring reconciliation. Look again at what Jesus says. He says, if, you're, if you bring your gift to the altar, and when you get there, you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Well, here's how we read that today. And this is why we miss the power of this statement. If, if I had something against one of you and I'm in church and I come to this altar and I kneel down and I think, oh, I need to go get it right with you. I'd have 15, 20 steps. I leave the altar, go back, get it right with you and then come back to the altar. Jesus is teaching in Galilee. Galilee is in the north. The, 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 the um, closest part of Galilee to Jerusalem would be 80 miles. Anything north of there would be more than 80 miles. It might be almost a week's journey to the temple where they would leave the gift or take the gift, take the animal, a sacrifice. So what Jesus is saying is, if you travel 80 miles with your lamb and you go to the temple and you get to the altar where you're going to offer it as a sacrifice, might even be more than 80 miles. You've traveled a week and you get there and you get to the altar and you remember that there's someone that you're not reconciled with. You are to leave your gift there and travel a whole other week back, make it right, and then travel another week back and then offer your gift and talk to God. That's a big deal. That's decisive action. It might be inconvenient, but Jesus expected it. God doesn't want to hear from us or see our great offering until we have made that decisive action to make it right with that person that we are bitter toward or there is something between us. We have all kinds of excuses. When I run into them next, I'll, I'll deal with it. Or maybe if I happen to see them, I know it'll be a sign. Christians are notorious for looking for signs. Folks, listen, you don't need a sign. The Bible says to do it. If I run into them, maybe that's a sign. And then I'll make it right. But Jesus says, be decisive. Make it right now. Be reconciled. So how many wish you were watching live stream and you could turn it off? Let me see. All right. Number three. A true Christ follower will recognize the profound gravity of unforgiveness. It's a big deal not to forgive. The servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him. He took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged, said, please have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he wouldn't. But he threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were grieved and they came and they told their master. And his master called him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and he delivered him into the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus had to add this. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. When the forgiven servant refused to forgive another, 
He was tortured until which time he could pay the debt. And we've already established it was a debt beyond being paid. In other words, he never left that prison. The debt was so great in the parable that he would never be able to pay it. His unwillingness to forgive resulted in very serious and significant judgments. Elsewhere, Jesus had said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Is that a hard verse for anybody other than me? That's a tough verse. So what do we do with that? How do we reconcile that God whose generosity is beyond measure? He just continues to give grace. The text says, will nonetheless not forgive the unforgiving. And they must expect the punishment their unforgiveness deserves. This statement seems absolutely unqualified and absolute. Is refusal to forgive someone's sin, the unpardonable sin, but text, the biblical text says there's only one. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So we got a problem. <laughs> we got a problem. That's the only unforgivable sin. And yet Jesus has said, I won't forgive. My father won't forgive you if you don't forgive your brother. So how do we reconcile that? Good biblical interpretation says, I've got to embed this whole thing in the text of the whole of scripture. And when we do that, there may be some qualification when we set it against the wider teaching of Jesus and we consider the epistles and we read the words in 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. How many are thankful he does that when we confess? But such considerations must not serve to weaken the impact of this sobering parable and the solemn words of Jesus. Those who refuse to forgive must not expect to be forgiven. It's tough. Following Jesus is not like following the world. Following Jesus is a higher calling. Let me end with this fourth point. The true Christ follower will extend deep and sincere forgiveness to those who have hurt them. So my heavenly father, Jesus said, will do to each of you will do to you if each of you, look at this next phrase, from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. It's not enough to give reluctance or merely verbal forgiveness. So I'll forgive you, but not mean it. It's not enough just to say the words. It's not enough to leave the problem unresolved. The forgiveness that Jesus is calling us to is genuine, warm forgiveness from the heart that will bring restoration to the broken relationship. To say it's their problem, they'll get with me, is not what Jesus calls us to. If I get to the altar and I remember they have ought against me, I'm to seek restoration. So what happens when we forgive someone? I'm going to close with this. What happens when we forgive someone? It begins with compassion. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, 
He sees his crucifiers. And he sees them not as what they're doing to him, but he sees them through eyes of compassion. Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they are doing. It begins with compassion. The focus of Jesus was not his pain. Listen, if you're always focused on your hurt and pain, you'll never be willing to forgive. Jesus didn't look at his own, but he saw them with new eyes. Compassion that changes perception. You see their brokenness, the brokenness that drives their behavior. And changed perception leads us to action. We're free to know him better when we forgive. And we are free to see him better. Who have you refused? To forgive. What's that unforgiveness doing to you? How powerful it would be if we could release that and forgive from the heart so that we can experience the fullness of God's joy. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to read you one more story. It's a pretty powerful story from our own nation's history. Um, In 1838, July 8th, our 7th President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, was a general. He he stood before his minister, um, Presbyterian pastor, Dr. John Edgar, and he announced to him that he wanted to become a member and he wanted to receive communion. So Dr. Edgar asked, Andrew Jackson about his convictions, about his conversion, to ascertain whether or not it was a sincere conversion. And at every step, Reverend Edgar nodded his head. His answers were all satisfactory, but Dr. Edgar felt the need to probe a little more deeply into Andrew Jackson's life. And he just looked at him, he said, can you forgive all your enemies? was kind of a long pause. The question was a little stunning to General Jackson. And then he broke the silence. He said, I can forgive my political enemies. I I can freely forgive them. But as for those who abused me when I was serving my country and those who attacked me for serving my country, that's a whole different case altogether. It was an honest answer, but Dr. Edgar was not satisfied. He said to Andrew Andrew Jackson, Christians must forgive all. And he insisted and pressed General Jackson on that issue. Andrew Jackson was not anticipating that he would be probed and questioned this way. And yet when the time came for him to respond, he knew he would have to embrace the claim of the gospel in his life. One of Jackson's biographers gives us his response. There was a considerable pause and then Jackson spoke again. Upon reflection, he said, he thought he could forgive all who had injured him, even those who had reviled him for his services to his country on the battlefield. He was at long last prepared to grant amnesty to all of the scoundrels who had ever crossed his path. On July 15, 1938, General Andrew Jackson, 7th President of the United States, was admitted into the Presbyterian Church. 
70 years old when his battle-weathered soul and tired body knelt for the first time to receive communion. And as he did, his biographer said, tears of penitence and joy trickled down his careworn cheeks, meekness and triumphs. To let go of hurt and pain, especially when we feel like we're right. To let go of bitterness, especially when we think, man, I, they've got this anger coming. It's a hard thing to do. But how precious it is to respond with forgiveness as we were responded to by our Savior. Father, thank you for your word today. Help us, Lord, to get first things first. We're challenged with a very strong word. that says if we don't forgive, we can't expect to be forgiven. We don't intend to delve into the mystery of how that works, especially when you promise forgiveness if we confess our sin. And you say there's only one unpardonable sin, so we'll not try to sort out the mystery. We'll leave the mystery to you. We'll not try to find a loophole, knowing instead, God, that it's a strong word to us that you are calling us to respond to. So Holy Spirit, shine into our hearts. There are those that we have not forgiven, those that we hold a grudge against, those who we are bitter toward. I pray, God, that you would speak to us now because we want to be free to know you. We want nothing standing in the way. We don't want anything clogging our access to you and our access to your grace. So we pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would show us, reveal to us there are those that we need to forgive. Those that we need to lay down the hurts. Lord, we may never see that other person turn toward us. That may not happen. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to forgive and let go and seek to make it right. So speak to us, challenge us, and let forgiveness flow freely from us. I